This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It is always good to be with you and join you. And You know, I was realizing the other day that we often don't introduce ourselves. I know we talk about the different things on the show, but around the table is is Vinnie Henke and Ryan Hemphill, Jonathan Van Hoogen, and myself, Russ Herman, and, and we are four guys that just come from very similar theological backgrounds and perspectives, and um, our whole goal of the show is hopefully to just provide you biblical truths and insight that help you live faithful lives that are gospel-oriented, and we believe that we need the gospel on a daily basis, and hopefully this is a way that um, you can have some gospel influence in your life. And that doesn't mean that we don't talk about things that aren't, quote, gospel um, with regard to in in a, a very literal, strict definition, but we do believe that the gospel has influence on on all of these different topics and arenas of life, um, even if we're not saying that salvation is through Jesus Christ, putting your faith alone in him in a true gospel sense, but that the gospel has influence. And we have been doing a little series on some theme days, and today, Theology Thursday, we wanted to take a time, and this is a little bit motivated by, I have someone in my church that has said, we would, I would love it if you guys would sometime talk about dispensationalism. So this is for at least one member of my church that had made this request. See, if you make requests, we listen, we listen and we try to accommodate. So what is dispensationalism? <laughs> big pause. Big that, pause. I think see everybody that, wants right there is good radio. RC Sproul would call that a pregnant pause. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> I actually listened to Sinclair Ferguson say something one time about dispensationalism, and I thought it was interesting what he said. He said, if you try to define dispensationalism to somebody uh, who is a dispensationalist, they might say, well, I'm not that kind of dispensationalist. The The point being is uh, dispensationalism is really was uh, established, you know, in the early 1800s, John Nelson Darby was the proponent of it. He began to look at, you know, particularly, you know, eschatological things. He saw a fundamental difference in the way one would read the Bible, where Israel was a separate people than the church. So you have two peoples of God, you have Israel and the church, and in, and Darby would argue that the church in grace is saved in a different way in which Israel in the Old Covenant was saved. And so there were two dispensations. There's a dispensation of grace and there's a dispensation uh, with Israel. And in a sense, that's continued on. There's been progressive dispensationalists and they've moved from different positions on that, but 
ultimately, they see the church as some sort of parenthesis on God's plan. So we're living in a church age. We're really the parenthesis. God has, uh, you know, future dealings with Israel, and so once the parenthesis is over, then he goes back to plan A. So Charles Ryrie was a, a dispensationalist of the last century, and he wrote a book called Dispensationalist dispensationalism today and he provided a definition and he said the essence of dispensationalism is the distinction between israel and the church and that's what jonathan was just talking about so that's the core of dispensationalism and he goes on to say this grows out of the dispensationalist consistent employment of normal or plain interpretation and it reflects an understanding of the ba- basic purpose of God and all his dealings with mankind as that of glorifying himself through salvation and other purposes as well. So if you break that down, that definition, what you really have is that the essence of dispensationalism is the distinction between Israel and the church. Second, this distinction is the result of consistently applying a literal interpretation, and this is a big deal. Um, and then third, this distinction reflects the understanding that God's primary purpose is to glorify himself. So, as Jonathan said, dispensationalism is extremely wide. And so trying to, to narrow it down and say this is exactly what dispensationalism is, is extremely difficult. It would be almost the same thing as saying this is what a Baptist believes. Mm-hmm. Baptists are, are so wide and broad in their theological leaning. So you, you use this broad category of Baptists, but within that broad category, you can have somebody that is, is a, a full-on Arminian and a, a, somebody else that would say, no, I believe in the solas of, of the Reformation. And they're both using the label of Baptists. Well, you couldn't be further apart theologically between those two, but they're both using the same label. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have that with dispensationalism. So we, as we're going through the show, please understand that we're trying to be fair. We're trying to be honest. We're trying to you know not create a straw man that doesn't exist. We are trying to be engaged with what at least some this dispensationalists. Is the, uh, yes. there may be you may vary in it, but this is the core of it. So let's take those distinctions from Ryle's, um, Ryrie's definition. First, this whole idea that God's primary purpose is to glorify himself, and maybe just unpack that a little bit. What they would basically say is that they are God-centered and that Reformed people are actually man-centered in their theology. Um, why is that maybe not accurate? Well, it's kind of, a, a, I think, a wrong accusation. Obviously, I think it's wrong in that we are – we believe they they kind of characterize us as having God's ultimate purpose be our redemption, which that is a part of God's plan. But we also hold to like um, in, in my circle, we hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith. So the very first catechism question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, uh, "What is the chief end of man?" Well, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So at the very outset, at the very beginning, is the assertion of belief that wholeheartedly that God's primary purpose is to glorify himself. And, and that explains a whole host of just human experience of the various trials we go through. I mean, the various uh, ways in which God works in our life. It's for the ultimate purpose of glorifying his name. And let's just be clear. Dispensationalism has been around roughly what? 150, 175 years. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah. Darby's mm-hmm. 1880. So. Something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And the Westminster confession of faith 
has been around for 1633. 1633. <laughs> so, I mean, at the end of the day, you, you can't really come late to the party and, and throw a grenade backwards. Right. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think the Reformed confessions speak for themselves. And so I, I think on that particular one, um, it's not an accurate historical accusation. Yeah. What's happened in, uh, in America, you know, is that we there's not been that many study bibles and to, the proliferation of study bibles is really relatively new but there was one study bible it was the Schofield reference bible uh, which just about everybody if you went into a bible bookstore and you were looking for a study bible you that's what you ended up with and uh, you know the joke was something like this you you read an English Bible from left to right, you read the Hebrew Bible from right to left, but you read um, a Schofield Bible from bottom up. And, you know, so what they would, what you were doing is reading the notes into uh, your understanding of Scripture. Yeah, Daniel Hunnamal writes a great book called The Rise and Fall of Dispensationalism uh, and its effect on America. And he, it's one of the things he highlights is the proliferation of the Schofield Study Bible and its influence on uh, the theological convic- convictions of common, ordinary Christians. And part of that is about the literal interpretation part. Right, right. And, and the Schofield Bible, the notes of the Schofield Bible impose that literal interpretation on all of Scripture. Now, we in the room believe in a literal interpretation of, of the Word of God, so I don't want you to mishear us. However, what would be the, the nuance that we would bring to it? I'd say that God uses various... Um, uh, figures of speech or <coughs> methods of communication, I guess. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but uh, some of the prophecies, you know, you can read and you, and you see their immediate fulfillment. Like the one would be uh, the prophecy of uh, of the virgin birth. There was a immediate fulfillment in Isaiah's day of uh, one who, uh, of a young woman who was a virgin at the time who then had a child and it was for the king of Israel there as far as um, what God was doing as life a sign. Uh, but ultimately pointed to the coming of Christ and the actual virgin birth. And so we see in that, in prophecy, there's sometimes there's a, a literal fulfillment of immediacy, but there's also then this picture forward of uh, of a coming fulfillment. And I think oftentimes um, there's a an overall, over, over-literal interpretation of some scripture passages that have a more spiritual um, direction and pointing to fulfillment in God's ultimate purposes. And the accusation that would be made is that we are subjective in our interpretation. And we would say, no, we're not. We're actually owning the fact that we do sometimes go away from literal interpretation because the context tells us to. Mm-hmm. And one of the – and they would – like the dispensationalists like to claim that they're they they are faithfully and consistently um, using a literal interpretation, and that's actually just not true. It's not accurate. Well, a primary example is all, most dispensationalists will say that someday the sacrifices are going to be reestablished because of their interpretation of Ezekiel forty to forty eight. The problem is the Book of Hebrews has clearly said that the sacrificial system is done, mm-hmm. and so then they know that they're kind of in in conflict with the Book of Hebrews, which is clear in its teaching. So then what they will say is, well, it's not they're not reinstating them as they're just memorial offerings. Well, the problem is the literal interpretation of Ezekiel 40 to 48 dictates, mandates that you have to interpret them as they're talked about as sin offerings. Mm-hmm. Well, if you take the literal interpretation of Ezekiel 40 to 48, you have to violate the clear teaching of the book of Hebrews. Right. So then they're not consistently using a literal interpretation. They, they're actually using a symbolic 
interpretation because it fits. And we understand that when we read God's Word, there's a lot of metaphor that's used in God's Word. You know, um, Christ refers to himself as a door. He refers to himself as a vine. There's all these different things. We don't really take everything literally, literal where possible. But uh, And that that's the thing that I think that we both believe we are addressing the Word of God. We both have a confidence in the predictive prophecies of, of Scripture. We both are endeavoring to understand the Word of, of God and what it means to convey. Uh, but where it differs drastically, and, you know, like we talked about these three things, you know, you know centered on the glory of God, interpreting, interpreting literally, and then also the difference between Israel and the church. And the other two fall to, the, the, to that one where Israel and the church, that distinction determines how they're going to glorify God and how they're going to interpret. Yeah, because to be consistent in, in what Russ pointed out as far as the interpretation of Ezekiel 40 to 48, uh, you, almost, you, you have to make a sharp divide between how God deals with Israel as his people and how God deals with the church as his people. And so if you're going to interpret Ezekiel 40 to 48 literally, uh, then Israel has to institute the sacrifices because that's the means that God has done. But then God has done something different in Jesus for the church. So we're running out of time. So the the Ryrie would say ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church is a touchstone of dispensationalism. And we think that they have unnecessarily separated the two halves of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, that it's one storyline, it's one people of God, it's it's and some key passages that we're just going to point you to Romans 11, 11 through 24, Ephesians 2, Hebrews 11, Revelation 21, Galatians 6, especially 16 and 29. We're out of time, but you'll have to follow up on those, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>